Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to the All About Fitness Podcast. I'm doing a series on the podcast where I'm reading from my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. That's because I want you to learn how to be able to design your own workout programs. We might think that going to the gym is easy, that exercise is easy, that all we got to do is read a magazine or follow something on, on a workout program we get online. That can work, but what's more important is I want you to understand why, why you're doing certain exercises, what the difference is between a mobility exercise and a strength exercise, why you should focus on metabolic conditioning as opposed to quote-unquote cardio training. Those are the reasons why I wrote the book. And again, if you've been listening, then you know the spiel. I've been educating personal trainers for most of my career. I've been working in the fitness industry for about 25 years now. And for about 20 of those years, my job has been educating personal trainers. I've worked for certification organizations. I work for fitness equipment companies. And right now I work for a large health club chain where my job is just that. I, I help run our personal training program and I keep our personal trainers up to speed with the latest information to help their clients. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I do this podcast is because I want you to know how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. And that was the goal for writing Smarter Workouts. And look, I want to be completely honest. If you work out because you want huge muscles, if you work out because you want to show off your body to everybody, this podcast, my book, really isn't for you. It's not. Everything that I do is about using fitness to enhance your quality of life. It's about how you use exercise to make your life better, to do what you want to do. Listen, the way I look at it is fitness is freedom. And what I mean by that is fitness gives you the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. So if you're fit, if you exercise regularly and you're fit, if you want to go for a hike, you can do it. If you want to go for a bike ride, you can do it. If you want to learn how to stand up paddleboard, you can do it. If you want to be like every other adult in the country right now and play pickleball, guess what? You can do it. But you have to have a foundation of fitness and you have to exercise on a regular basis in order to have that freedom. That is why I do my podcast. That is why I wrote the books. Smarter Workouts and my other book, Ageless Intensity. My third book is coming out soon. It's Smarter Recovery. It's about the science of recovery. We're in edits right now, and that should be released in early 2023, and I cannot wait. If you listen to the podcast, you know I am a geek about recovery. So let's get into it. Where we left off in the last part, I'm in Chapter 2, Movement and Intensity and Practice. Where we left off was talking about different types of strength training. There are three. You have two authors, Zadziorski and Kramer. And number one, if you want to learn anything, anything real and, and definitive about the science of how exercise changes the human body, this pains me to say it, but we have to look to the Russians. Because in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the Russians had the best sports scientists in the world, and the Russians developed the methodology of using strength training to enhance athletic performance. It wasn't until the late 80s or mid-90s. I mean, it's only been about 25 years that professional athletes in the United States have been using conditioning and strength training year-round to prepare for their sport. That didn't happen until about mid, probably early to mid-90s. It didn't, athletes training year-round did not become a thing. 
But in the 60s and 70s, the Soviets pioneered and developed tremendous amounts of strength training and power training to help their athletes. Their goal was to develop athletes that could compete and dominate world competition as part of their propaganda. And that's where they developed, that's where they developed anabolic steroids. They realized that high-intensity exercise boosts level of testosterone and growth hormone. And so what they started doing was they started giving their athletes, hey, you're, a, you're an Olympic shot put thrower. Well, we know that strength training elevates your testosterone, so let's give you some extra testosterone for recovery. Let's give you some extra growth hormone. And that's what happened in the 60s and 70s, and that's where we get, quote-unquote, performance-enhancing drugs. All the Soviets did, and I should say Soviets, they weren't Russians, it was the Soviet Union, predominantly Russians, but it was the Soviet Union. And what the Soviets did with their athletes was they supplemented their training with extra testosterone, extra growth hormone. And that's where we got the science of, quote-unquote, performance-enhancing drugs. And the reason why I use performance enhancing in quotes is taking extra testosterone or growth hormone is not going to make you a better athlete. Taking extra T or taking extra GH did not make Barry Bonds a better athlete. What it did was allow him to train harder and recover quicker so he could be at 100% with every game. You have 162 games in a baseball season. Taking T throughout the training throughout the baseball season will help you maintain muscle mass. It, basically what steroids do, if you take anabolic steroids, what you're doing is you're enhancing your recovery. You're enhancing your body's ability to recover. Went off on a little tangent there, but the point is, if you really want to understand exercise physiology, you have to look to the Russian literature, the Soviet literature, and that's what I did. So I'm, I'm defining right now in this part of the chapter, I'm defining different types of strength training based on the Soviet methodology, and the Soviets had the best system. So here we are at the repeated effort, the repeated effort method. Ooh. The repeated effort method of strength training requires the use of a non-maximal load performed until momentary muscle failure, the inability to perform another repetition, to ensure proper stimulation of the motor units and depletion of energy stores. Applying the RE method of exercise requires performing the final few repetitions per set in a fatigued state in order to stimulate all the involved muscle fibers. The repeated effort method is an effective means to stimulate the adaptation of increasing lean muscle mass. This method uses, slow, uses slower muscle units for the initial repetitions. As these motor units begin to fatigue, the muscle will recruit type 2 high threshold motor units to sustain the necessary force production. One limitation to the repeated effort method is that as the type 2 motor units are activated, they fatigue quickly, leading to the end of the set. If the load is not sufficient or the set is not performed to fatigue, it will not stimulate the fast motor units most responsible for changing muscle definition. One significant benefit of this method is that as anaerobic type 2 fibers are recruited, they create energy through anaerobic glycolysis, which produces metabolic waste such as hydrogen ions and lactic acid, changing blood acidity. Research suggests that acidosis, the change in blood acidity due to the accumulation of blood lactate, is associated with increases in GH and IGF-1 to promote tissue repair during the recovery phase. The repeated effort method provides two key advantages when using just one piece of exercise equipment. It has a greater impact on the metabolic function of the muscle, provoking greater levels of growth as well as involving a significant number of motor units, leading to strength gains. So the repeated effort, what the Russians or what the Soviets called the repeated effort method is basically hypertrophy training for bodybuilding. The goal is to use a moderate load that's going to cause muscle fatigue with maybe 8 to 15 repetitions. And this is an important finding. Over about the past 8 to 10 years, 
the research has really changed the way we've looked at that. Because for years, we looked at having to use heavy loads to stimulate muscle growth. But thanks to the research by Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, we now realize that it's not the amount of load, it's not the amount of weight that you use, it's performing repetitions to fatigue. That means you can use a four-pound dumbbell, but you need to perform a heck of a lot of repetitions if you want to fatigue the muscle. Using a 40-pound dumbbell will cause fatigue much quicker. The only thing that's consistent is hitting a point of fatigue. That's the repeated effort method. The repeated effort method is basically bodybuilding. You're, you're increasing muscle fiber size. Because when muscle fibers work to fatigue, they deplete carbohydrate. And then when they have to restore carbohydrate, that's when they get larger. Another way they get larger is, re, is the, the protein synthesis and repair process. And, and what's called your motor units work. When you start a lift, when you start doing an exercise, the smaller type 1 motor units will, will fire first. When your muscle needs more force, that's when the larger type 2 muscle fibers get involved. That's why performing reps of fatigue is critical because then you engage all fibers in that muscle. Let's get on to the dynamic effort method. The dynamic effort method of strength training uses non-maximal loads with the highest attainable velocity of movement to apply, to apply the muscle motor stimulation. Vladimir Zatsyorsky and William Kramer suggest that the dynamic effort method is an effective means of increasing the rate of, of force development and developing explosive strength. But when using a submaximal load for bursts of high-intensity movement speed, it can be an effective means of metabolic conditioning as well. The dynamic effort method activates the contractile element of muscle to create an isometric contraction and place tension on the body-wide network of fascia and elastic connective tissue. When the contractile element shortens, it loads the fascia with elastic mechanical energy, which, when rapidly shortened, creates an explosive shortening action to generate movement. When using the dynamic effort method with one piece of equipment for metabolic conditioning, the goal is to perform a move and an explosive or fast pace until either becoming out of breath or feeling the sensation of burning in the evolved muscles, both of which are important markers of metabolic overload. So the dynamic effort method is really power or explosive training. So what I'm outlining in the book is you have three methods of training identified by Zatsiorski and Kramer. The first method was the heavy method. Was the maximal was the maximal method, and I don't have I call it the right name. It's like the maximal strength method or whatever it is. It's but that's not relevant because I'm writing this book for use at home, and if you're using if you're working out at home, you probably don't have a lot of weights laying around. So you're not going to be using you're not going to be doing max load lifts for one or two reps. I didn't include that method in the book, but if you're working out at home, you probably have lighter to moderate weights available, or you have your body weight. If you only have light weights or body weight, then the two methods you can use are repeated effort, working to failure, or the dynamic effort, which is doing explosive training. And that can be body weight movements like jumps, explosive push-ups, slams with a medicine ball, slams with a sandbag. These are all movements for that can dynamic movements, explosive movements that activate the muscle fibers. Because explosive exercises, power-based exercises, Recruit type 2 muscle fibers right away. A strength exercise has to fatigue the type 1 muscle fibers first before it activates the type 2 fibers. But the, the rapid force development needed for a power exercise will stimulate and activate the type 2 fibers first. Let's look at the effective, this in this section, effective equipment for developing mobility, core strength, and metabolic conditioning. One inside tip that many fitness professionals know is that it's not the actual equipment you use, 
but how you apply it that leads to physical changes. Yes, different types of exercise equipment place different stresses on the body, resulting in slightly different adaptations. And yes, to some degree, weight is weight. A medicine ball that weighs 10 pounds is the same weight as two five-pound dumbbells. However, the movements you do during an exercise, plus the way you apply the other variables of program design, such as sets and rest intervals, actually determine the changes that will happen to your body. I'm going to say that again. The movements you do during an exercise, plus the way you apply the other variables of program design, like sets and rest intervals, are what actually determines the changes that happen to your body from your workouts. Staying with the example of the medicine ball and the two dumbbells, even though they weigh the same amount, the way they are used in a workout will result in completely different outcomes. A medicine ball is held in both hands, while the dumbbells allow each arm to move independently, imposing a number of stresses on the various systems of the body. The, exercise, the equipment selected for the workouts in this book was chosen specifically because they are capable of imposing the appropriate demands for mobility, core strength training, or metabolic conditioning, as well as being very affordable and easy to use in a home setting where space may be limited. In addition, the equipment selected can be found in most commercial health clubs or fitness facilities. Learning to use one piece of equipment for an effective workout gives you options for when you want the convenience of exercising at home or when both space and equipment are in short supply at the gym. When you make it to the gym only to see that all the equipment is being used and people are waiting in line to take their turn, you can smile knowing that you'll still get a great workout. All you need to do is grab a single piece of equipment, secure a little space, and have at it. You'll be sweating and working towards your goal in no time. Movement is exercise and exercise is movement. Knowing how to move with the pieces of equipment listed above, along with knowing how to organize the variables of an exercise program, can help ensure that you are doing workouts that will produce the results you want. All the top fitness instructors know that exercise is both a science and an art. The science can provide insights on how the human body will adapt to specific methods of overload, but the art comes from finding the best types of exercise that feels right for your particular needs. One piece of equipment, like a kettlebell, can be used for mobility, core strength training, or metabolic conditioning based on how the variables of exercise program design are applied. The next chapters show you dozens of exercises to help you get the results you want simply and effectively. And that, that is why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I want you to learn how to use one piece of equipment and change the variables. Do you add reps? Do you add speed of movement? Do you slow down speed of movement? But I want you to be like a chef for your own workouts. I want you to be able to take one piece of equipment, whether at home, in a gym, or the place I don't mention in here, our hotel workout rooms. I travel a lot for work. I'm already at 60 days on the year for my Marriott app. Yeah, that's almost two months of being in hotel rooms. That is two months of being in hotel rooms. I've gotten very good at working out in hotel rooms or in hotel workout centers. Some hotel workout centers are phenomenal. They're almost like a health club. Some hotels are even attached to health clubs and you can go right on in. Other hotels, eh, you might be lucky to find a few sets of dumbbells and maybe a rusty old bench. But the point is, well, the reason why I wrote the book is I want you to know how to take any piece of exercise equipment, one piece, anything, and design your own workout. So for the rest of the chapter, and this is chapter two, I'm, I described the different pieces of equipment that, that this book, what I did in this book was I, I wrote workouts for seven pieces of equipment, your body weight, a kettlebell, dumbbells, medicine ball, 
a stability ball, a sandbag, and a two-arm resistance band. So I'm going to go through and describe this equipment a little bit. More importantly, I'm going to describe the benefits of using the equipment. Because in my opinion, if you bought these seven pieces of equipment, well, you already have your body weight, so let's go. Let's add six. If you bought this six pieces of equipment, and I'd recommend two kettlebells, a lighter one and a heavier one. I'd recommend two or three pairs of dumbbells, mama bear, papa bear, and baby bear, right? You want to have heavy ones for your lower body, moderate ones for your upper body, and lighter ones for, for the upper body as well. So two kettlebells, one light, one heavy, three sets of dumbbells, medium, light, heavy, have a medicine ball. You can get one or two medicine balls. Get a sandbag. What I, I feature a sandbell in here. Sandbell is a specific brand of sandbags. You have a two-arm resistance band and a stability ball. All that equipment right there, even including the multiple sets, should run between three dollars and $500 depending on where you buy it. And if you do that, put in a garage, a basement, your kid's old room, wherever, you have everything you need along with my book, Smarter Workouts, to do a complete workout program. Because what I do for the rest of the book, in the rest of the book, I teach you how to use a kettlebell for mobility, core strength training, and metabolic conditioning. I teach you how to use your body weight for mobility, core strength training, and metabolic conditioning. Stability ball, medicine ball. What I do in each of those chapters is how to use this piece of equipment for a core strength workout. How to use this piece of equipment for a mobility workout. How to use this piece of equipment to get your heart rate up and make you sweat. That this, this book evolved from a series of blogs I did called The One Weight Workout, of where I wrote the blogs for the American Council on Exercise about how to get a great workout with only one piece of equipment. That became the book. So I'm going through this. This is a table in Chapter 2 about exercise equipment that can provide specific benefits. So the benefits of body weight. Body weight training is effective for all mobility, core strength, and metabolic conditioning. Bodyweight exercises can be done anywhere in only a limited amount of space. You got that right. With the exception of a stretch mat, timer, or heart rate monitor, bodyweight exercises do not require any special equipment. And that's right. I mean, a timer is one of the best things you can do. If you want to make your workout harder, set a timer for 30 seconds and try to do as many reps as possible in 30 seconds. That's what we go to in the metabolic conditioning. That's what you should be doing for your metabolic conditioning. If you want to work on strength, just go slow, slow down. If you're doing push-ups, go slow, three or four seconds down, one or two seconds up. If you do bodyweight squats, go slow on the way down. Going slow through the lengthening phase of muscle action can help develop more strength because you're keeping more tension, what's called time under tension on the muscle fibers. But let's get into kettlebell. So most people by now know what kettlebells are. They look like a cannonball with a handle. When I bought my first one 20 years ago, People in the gym were like, what that? Why are you training with a cannonball? Why are you training with a bowling ball? Little did I know when I bought my first one in 2003, little did I know in a few years, you'd be able to buy kettlebells in Walmart or Target. I had a special order mine from one. There's one equipment provider in the States that sold kettlebells and you had to pay a ton of money to have them shipped. It wasn't until about 2005 or 2006 when a lot of different vendors started making kettlebells. Anyway, the benefits of kettlebells. Originally, kettlebells were popular in the 19th century, but I've experienced a resurgence in the modern fitness market because they provide numerous benefits for mobility, core strength, and metabolic conditioning. The unique design of the handle and mass allows it to be used for explosive exercises, such as kettlebell swings, which are perfect for metabolic conditioning, or for unique exercises, such as the windmill, which can improve both mobility and core strength. And frankly, those are two of my favorite exercises. 
one one of my favorite if I don't have much time, one of my favorite workouts literally is swings, windmills, and push-ups. Swings, windmills, and push-ups. You do that for 12 to 15 minutes, you're drenched in buckets, and you get a great workout for the entire body. Kettlebells can be purchased from a variety of sporting goods stores or online retailers. There are a variety of kettlebells, from traditional to rubber-coated to adjustable weight. The two types of kettlebells recommended for these workouts in the book are either traditional or competition style. Pick the one that works best for you. One little note on the two types of kettlebells. My, my recommendation is competition style because in competition style, all sizes, all weights of the bell are same sizes. So a competition style bell is a little bit bigger, a little bit rounder, but the benefits are the 12 kg kettlebell is the same size as the 24 kg kettlebell. The handle, the bell, all the same size. That allows you to develop the skill with the size before going up with load within, with the weight. Now, the other one, the, the traditional style uh, kettlebell, is just that's what the, the size of the handle and the size of the bell itself change based on the load. The smaller bells are really tough to work with because there's not much handle size. And the heavier bells can be really tough to work with because of the size. So if you're going to look for bells for your home, I'd recommend competition bells, but just do what works for you. Dumbbells. The benefits of dumbbells are that dumbbells allow for complete freedom of movement in all planes of motion to improve task-specific muscular strength or to challenge metabolic conditioning. You control the path of motion as you move through multiple planes or directions. The amount of force can change as a joint moves through a complete range of motion. Each arm can be used independently to create sorry, each arm can be used interdependently to create unique loading challenges for mobility training, core strength, and metabolic conditioning exercises. Using one dumbbell allows for a variety of ways to load lower body or core exercises. And what I mean by that is unilateral training, just using one weight or one leg at a time, one weight in your arm or one leg at a time, really challenges the body to work much harder. The next piece of equipment is a medicine ball. The benefits of the medicine ball are you can control the path of motion and move the resistance in any direction, which could lead to higher levels of mobility and enhanced core strength. Live balls can be thrown repeatedly against the ground or hard wall for upper body specific metabolic conditioning, but you need a wall to throw against. Using a medicine ball can help elevate your heart rate and engage a number of core muscles, providing both metabolic conditioning and core strength training benefits that can be difficult to achieve with other pieces of exercise equipment. Medicine balls are extremely affordable and can be purchased from a number of online vendors or retail sporting goods stores. Yeah, medicine balls are available. If you go to any large big box sporting goods stores and even some big box stores like Target or Walmart, you should be able to find a medicine ball. And there are two different types of medicine balls. A live ball will bounce. They sometimes have air in them, but they're designed to bounce so they can be thrown against walls and return. Dead balls are like the big oversized balls you might see in a CrossFit gym or they're a little bit softer and squishier. Dead balls mean just that. You throw them, and they're not designed to move. They hit the ground, and they stay right in their spot. The next piece of equipment is a stability ball. And I made a lot of money in the 2000s teaching stability ball classes. I used to teach stability ball workouts two, three times a week. And I'm a huge fan of stability ball. Great for body weight training. All the stability ball does is provide different leverage for body weight training. The inherent instability of using a large ball creates a number of challenges to improve the strength and resiliency of muscle, fascia, and elastic connective tissues. The ball can help support your body weight during certain mobility exercises, helping to improve joint range of motion. The leverage and positions created by a stability ball create numerous exercises 
for developing and enhancing core strength. Next piece of equipment is a sandbell, is a sandbell sandbag. A sandbell is made by Hyperware. The I love sandbells, and, and sandbells and medicine balls are very similar. The benefit of a sandbell for home use is it doesn't roll around. Medicine balls can roll around, get in your way. Sandbells, they're a sandbag. You leave them on the ground, they don't go anywhere. Big, big fan of them. The adjustable and shifting mass is useful for creating leverage for mobility exercises, provides a dynamic variety, provides dynamic variety for core strength training, and can be thrown explosively for metabolic conditioning exercises. Different types of sandbags can be purchased from specialty retailers. Some are relatively flat and circular with no handles, while others resemble a small duffel bag with a variety of handles. It can be easy to make your own sandbag with little ingenuity and creative engineering. And yeah, once upon a time, I got, I went to a, went to a surplus store and bought a couple of military duffel bags. And then I went to a uh, Home Depot. Or, no, I went to Lowe's. I'm, I'm a fan of Lowe's. Um, but I went to a Lowe's. I got some playground sand and I got a bunch of contractor garbage bags. Well, you put, you put the sand in the garbage bags. You double bag the bags. You wrap them in duct tape. And then you put the duct tape wrap garbage bags in the Army duffel bag. And boom, you now have your own sandbag. So you can take a 50-pound bag of playground sand and make three or four of your own sandbags for home use. If you go and are a little creative at a military, at a, at a what are those called, um, surplus store. Maybe I'll do a post on Anyway, uh, the last final piece of equipment, I'm a huge fan of cable machines. And I wrote this book before Tonal, before um, what, Tonal and Form. These are at-home equipment now where you can do cable training at home. But for my career as a personal trainer, I love cable machines because cable machines allow you to do strength training from a standing position. If you want to make your body truly strong from the inside out, from the ground up, do most of your strength training on your feet in a standing position while working with and through gravity. That's what a two-arm resistance handle, a resistance tube allows you to do. The band can be attached to a door frame or another solid anchor, such as a fence post or playground jungle gym. The density, thickness, and length of the tubing will determine the actual amount of resistance. A resistance band provides a number of exercise options from a standing position, the way the human body is actually designed to function. A resistance band is one of the most important pieces of equipment for developing strong, stable, and functional core muscles. So there you go. That's the end of chapter two. And what I was doing was setting the stage for these are the types of strength training. This is how your body adapts to strength training. These are the variables which control how your body adapts to exercise, and then it's the equipment that you use. The next three chapters are going into, and I'm going to go into the intro for each chapter, but I'm not going to be kind of hard for me to describe the exercises or demonstrate the exercises in this format. And right now, I just don't have the bandwidth. At some point, I really do want to record the workouts in here and get them up on YouTube, um, on the All About Fitness YouTube channel, so that way we can, uh, be able, you can be able to see what we're doing. I'm going to get there. So for the next three chapters, mobility training, core strength training, and metabolic conditioning, I'm going to read from the introduction of the chapters, and I'm not going to go through the specific workouts. Because each chapter, mobility, I go through all seven pieces of equipment, body weight, kettlebell, dumbbells, yada, 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 and to show you how to use each piece of equipment for a mobility workout. In core strength training, I show you how to use each piece of equipment for a strength training workout. And finally, for metabolic conditioning, the same thing. Seven pieces of equipment, three chapters, you get 21 workouts, plus the science of why and how to design your own workouts. That's exactly why I wrote Smarter Workouts. 
So when you come back on the next episode, when you get the next edition of this, we're going to start in we're going to start in part two. We're going to go through the science of mobility training. Why should we be doing mobility training? And just so you know, I, you know, I know mobility is a big trend right now on social media. I wrote this book maybe four or five years ago. Mobility ain't new. For those of us who have been doing this for a while, we've been preaching mobility for years. So next up on the All About Fitness podcast, we're continuing with Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I want to pick up with Chapter 3, The Science of Mobility Training. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying hearing this information, I really invite you. I'm going to have a link down below in the show notes. Pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts. I mean, you can pick it up, ship it to you. Amazon will get it to you in a day. You order it now. Amazon will have it to you tomorrow. And I guarantee you that you will start learning how to create your own workouts. You can listen, listen to the podcast again for the science stuff. You can go through, take a few notes. But really, I mean, my job is an educator, and I want to educate you on how to, how to be your... I mean, I've been educating personal trainers and developing and training personal trainers. So if you listen to the podcast, I want you to have the same knowledge as a personal trainer and be able to design your own workout programs. Hey, that, that's why I did that. That's why I produced the content, is I, I live by the premise that fitness is freedom, and I want you to find your freedom. As always, thanks for tuning in. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of the All About Fitness Podcast.